Tonight's Old Testament scripture readings are taken from the book of Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. My name is Ryan. I serve as uh, one of the elders and also a, a ministry intern here at Grace Downtown. It's a privilege to be back up here in front of you all, my brothers and sisters. Will you please uh, pray with me as we get started tonight? God, we acknowledge that uh, we need you during this time. We pray for your spirit to open up these words to us. We pray for your grace over us, that we would be better equipped to love one another as friends, to love you as our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Proverbs this summer, looking at God's words for what wisdom is and what that looks like in our daily lives. And a big chunk of the Proverbs, if you're unfamiliar with them, are these short little one or two sentence sayings that really pack a lot of punch in a short amount of time. We're going to look together tonight at a selection of these Proverbs on friendship. Now, I have to tell you, this is a complete coincidence, by the way, but today is actually Friendship Day in the United States. I was reading an article this week on, on friendship that referenced Friendship Day. I Googled it and looked it up, and what do you know? Today's the day. So, no better way to celebrate Friendship Day than to think about God's words of wisdom for what friendship looks like. And I do think our popular culture uh, actually does have a lot to say about friendship. You know, I think of the, over the course of my life of all the, the TV shows that have centered around a group of friends, right, trying to navigate life together. Romantic relationships kind of come and go. Um, you know, families usually play a secondary role, but the core is really this friendship, right? I think of shows like Friends or, or Parks and Rec or um, Big Bang Theory, things like that. And it feels like this city, too, is being developed in a way that's designed to, like, bring people together. To bring us together in public spaces, our, our living spaces are getting smaller and smaller. We keep building more restaurants and breweries and coffee shops, places to gather in public. And then obviously social media has completely changed the way that we think about friendship in this day and age. The ability to connect with people regardless of how physically close you are to somebody. I think we have a real desire for friendship. I think we understand the power of friendship and the potential of friendship. 
I think some of us even probably idolize our, our social lives in this context. So why are so many people still so lonely? You know, if you're familiar with the, the stats that have come out in the last few years on loneliness in the United States, you know it paints a pretty sad picture. In the mid-1980s, the average American had 3.2 friends. Today, that's down to 1.8. It's almost half in 20 years. About 25% of people say they have no one in their lives who they can trust. The AARP reported a couple years ago that one-third of adults over the age of 45 experience what they call chronic loneliness. And that number's been getting worse, actually, over the years. I remember that news story um, a few years ago about the United Kingdom actually appointing a minister of loneliness, a government official. This is such a social problem in the UK, too. There's no better time than the present to try and discover God's vision for friendship. Now, the ancient world in which these Proverbs were written placed a very high value on the family. It was a very family-oriented society. Your lineage and your family tree was incredibly important to who you are and to your identity. It was t- your identity was tightly bound in your family. You couldn't escape that. And this is one of the things that I think really jumps out at modern readers as we read through the Old Testament. This really high value on family and on where you come from. But even in this context, uh, friendship was very important. There are a lot of stories in the Old Testament about the value of friendship. I think David and Jonathan is probably the most prominent example, if you're familiar with it. King David, who was the father of Solomon, who wrote uh, these Proverbs. And David and his friend Jonathan had a deep, deep love for one another. Friendship that really was uh, closer than a brother, like one of the Proverbs we read tonight. And then Ruth and Naomi were carried through incredible trials by their friendship. Most of the book of Job is a discussion between Job and his friends as they try to counsel him, oftentimes not very well, through his own suffering that he's experienced in his life. Then there's the book of Proverbs. One author actually calls Proverbs uh, a handbook on friendship. So much of this book can be applied to friendship. We've picked out um, just a few really explicit texts about friendship tonight, but you can really apply so much of what we're reading in the Proverbs to our friendships And it's interesting that Proverbs, written in this culture that places such a high view on the family, actually elevates friendship so much. Even putting it on the same level, or even sometimes greater than the level of the family bonds that we experience. You know, this world valued family far more than most of us in our cultural context, and still, it speaks to the importance of friendship and the need for friendship. So what does friendship look like? What are the qualities that we should be looking for in our own friends? What are the things that we should be striving for as we want to be better friends to others and to those around us? There are a lot of themes I think we could draw from these Proverbs that we read. We'll just highlight a few here tonight. First, really briefly, uh, friendship is action-oriented in the Proverbs. You know, we spent a lot of time as the church the last few weeks talking about this idea of wisdom, and I think it can be tempting, uh, I know this is true for me, to think of wisdom as a purely like intellectual and cognitive idea of how to solve problems and how to, to think about the world. But the Proverbs really speak against that narrow vision of wisdom, especially here in this context where it's talking about friendship. It speaks to the very practical, relationship-oriented side of what wisdom looks like. 
Proverbs aren't focused on how we feel about each other or how we think about each other here so much as how we speak to one another and how we treat one another in our friendships. And then second, the friendship that we find described here is considerate. It's focused primarily on the other person and it's sensitive to their needs. We have a couple of negative examples here that draw this out. In chapter 27, verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice Rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving praise to our neighbors. That's a good thing. That's something that we would advocate for, is recognizing when someone has done something worthy of praise. What Solomon is getting at here is the person who's praising someone else really just to draw attention to themselves, right? Like this one, this guy in this proverb is the first one up. He's the first one awake. He's the loudest so that everyone knows that he is thankful for his neighbor. This person kind of reminds me of the situation, I don't know if you've ever seen this at a wedding, where the best man or somebody is giving a speech, uh, and they just like drag on and on, right? And they're speaking in a way that's really, you know, not about elevating the married couple so much as like drawing attention to themselves. And the words may sound flattering, they may sound like they want you to think well of this couple, but in reality, the listeners can see through these words, right? You can tell when somebody is just focused on themselves. And I think this also points to the danger of friends who just sing your praises all the time, who just pay you lip service. Do they really have your best interest in mind? Or do they just want to be liked? And then in chapter 25, verse 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. This shows a person who's emotionally disconnected, doesn't appreciate the needs of their friends, if your friend is, is sad about something and you come and see them in a happy mood and you just kind of continue on in your happy mood, well, that's just going to make their sadness even worse, right? There's a degree of, of empathy that comes with the type of friendship talked about here. That's one of those things about those really deep, old friendships, right? It's how good you get at, like, reading other people. It's a wonderful thing to be known that way by your friends, to be able to empathize in that way. And by the way, this example of uh, vinegar on soda is a little bit obscure, but it turn, turns out uh, there's actually some kind of naturally occurring like soda in ancient Egypt during this time. Soda, like baking soda, not the soda you drink. And, and so that was very familiar in this context and was a very valuable product. And if you remember, you know, science experiments from when you were in elementary school, uh, pouring vinegar on baking soda kind of ruins the soda. It doesn't make it useful anymore. <laughs> So friendship is, is action-oriented. It's considerate of the other person. And then third, probably one of the most important qualities in our friendship is that it's honest. Friendship is honest. There's a responsibility that comes with being a friend, right? Chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Another way, um, other translations will read this second part is that an enemy multiplies kisses. Again, we see a warning against friends who flatter too much. But the positive reading here is that true friendship isn't always pleasant in this life. Sometimes it requires saying hard things. You know, if you notice a, uh, a sinful pattern in the life of a friend or, or neighbor, oftentimes the easiest thing is to just not say anything. But Proverbs is saying that what's easier in the moment 
is oftentimes not what's actually best for the friendship. I think about my own friends in high school. I had a really great group of Christian friends in high school, and they would sometimes call me out on my character deficiencies, on issues that I had, and it really didn't feel good at the time, right? It was painful. I got pretty good at justifying myself. It was embarrassing. But I'm really glad that they did that, especially now. It didn't change anything overnight at the time. They still had to you know, put up with me all throughout high school. But it got me to realize some things and be aware of some things in myself that I even still, to this day, have to, to think about and focus on in my life. Now, there is a lot more that we could say about our honesty and our words for each other. We're actually going to pick up that theme a little later on in the book of Proverbs, so I'm going to move on for now. Of all the qualities of friendship that Proverbs talk about, I think the one that jumps out the most the one that's the most prominent, the one that really encompasses all of the other qualities of friendship that are talked about here is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Look at some of these. A friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times. A faithful man, who can find? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful friends are present. They stick closer than a brother. Better a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. You can sustain friendships in this day and age while being apart from each other, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, sometimes being present in our lives means picking up the phone for a friend. Sometimes that phone call from an old friend can mean the world to us. But the most important times are always the times that we're together with our friends, those face-to-face moments. Hannah and I have some friends who are former neighbors of ours we're so gifted at maintaining these deep, intimate relationships with friends who have come in and out of their lives over different stages in their lives. And these aren't just shallow friendships. They're not like a person who is referenced here who has many companions but then doesn't have any real friends when trouble comes. They really know and love these friends really well. And we asked them once, how do you do it? How do you manage to maintain so many of these friendships? They had a really interesting response. They said that whenever they get invited to hang out with friends, if they have any free time at all, if they have any availability when they get invited somewhere, they make it a point to show up. They put a lot of emphasis on face-to-face interaction with their friends, even if it's just stopping by a friend's house for 15 minutes, you know, something that a lot of us wouldn't think was worthwhile. If that's all they can do, they show up, and people really appreciate it. They said this, people remember when you don't show up to an event they planned, but if you show up, they don't remember how long you were there for. They just remember seeing you. There's something about seeing people face to face that makes us feel close to them, something about that personal presence. Then there's a constancy in faithful friendship. A friend loves at all times, not necessarily likes at all times. There's intentionality in this language. This is a choice. To love someone at all times takes a very deliberate approach. There's no one who is easy to love all the time. You're not going to find that friend. They don't exist. But faithful friends put in the work to love well anyway. It's hard to find friends who show this kind of faithfulness, this level of loyalty in a friendship. That's why the Proverbs say to be wary of having too many companions if it means coming at the cost of not having 
any close friends. The best friends are deeply personal friendships, the kind of thing that's, that's hard to maintain over time. And for most people, it's really hard to maintain with a large group of people. A few faithful friends, a few constant friends, are better than many shallow friends. If you have friends like that, appreciate it. Be thankful for it. These qualities that Proverbs is advocating for here, this presence, honesty, constancy, faithfulness, I think this speaks against some potential myths that we might have about friendship in our culture. Maybe you think that being dependent on friends is a sign of weakness. Friends are nice to have when I have the time, but, you know, I'm busy right now. I don't need that in my life. I'm fine on my own. But I think Solomon gets at something here in chapter 20, verse 6, with with this longing for a faithful friend, right? Even if it's difficult to find. And then in the biblical vision of humanity, you and I were actually designed for friendship. We were created for relationship. In the account of creation in the first chapters of Genesis, it's really interesting that before sin enters the world, Adam actually gets lonely. And God agrees with him that he needs to address this. So he creates Eve. We were created for a relationship. There's nothing sinful about being lonely about longing for friendship. This is what we were designed for. Even Jesus, the most spiritual person who ever lived, he needed friends when he was on this earth. Or maybe you think that true intimacy should be reserved only for a romantic relationship. Maybe you think that that real, deep, intimate relationship reserved for a spouse or a partner. Beyond that, you know, they're just people that you hang out with and like to have fun with. I think it's easy to make this this connection between intimacy and sex in our culture. We've so commingled those together. But we're actually invited into deep, intimate relationships with this group of people in this church. The New Testament talks about the church as a family. There's nothing more intimate than a family. It's our friendships that make this family intimacy possible. Ed Shaw is a a pastor and writer who is same-sex attracted who writes beautifully about how the friendships he has within the family of God make his celibate life not only something that's plausible, but something that is actually rich and full of joy for him. He says this. This is a long quote, so bear with me. God has very kindly put me in a church family of people of all ages, backgrounds, and circumstances, and we are slowly learning to be a family to one another. And crucially... This new family benefits us all. There is give and take from all of us all of the time. It strengthens single people, but it also strengthens marriages. It allows children to grow up in an environment where there are multiple adults parenting them. It's not perfect. There are constant ups and downs. All human relationships get messy at times. But they are a mess worth making. Because when it works... It is the most wonderful experience for all of us. I have to pinch myself sometimes. What a good and loving God that we serve, that this is the kind of friendship that we are called into as a people. That's an amazing thing. Or maybe you think that friendship is primarily about social status. It's just kind of a glorified version of networking, if you think about it this way. The goal of friendship in this so in this social status oriented context is ultimately though self-interested so you only pursue friendships with people who are of a certain status 
But Christian friendship really cuts across this. The Proverbs speak to this a little bit in talking about intergenerational friendship. Chapter 27, verse 10 that we read, it says, we actually have a responsibility not just for our own friends, but even for our parents' friends. And also loving a friend at all times, like it's talked about here, means loving them even when they don't have anything to offer you. And then Jesus takes this idea that friendship is about social status, and he just blows it right out of the water. His closest friends, the 12 disciples, you know, they were nothing to write home about as far as their social status. Most of them were fishermen, things like that, right? And then he um, ignored all the social conventions for a religious leader of his time by pursuing close friendships with women. He had friendships with tax collectors and Samaritans, these people who were rivals of the Jewish people, that he was a part of. The Bible's vision for friendship, it tears down the walls around who society says should or shouldn't be our friends. And not just that, but then it invites us in to a deep friendship with people who are in a different life context than us, maybe, or who are from a different cultural or or racial background, or who are at a different income status than we are. Wherever you're coming from tonight, we want you to know that we want this community to, place, to be a place of deep friendship for you, no matter where you're coming from. This passage that we read from the Gospel of John, uh, it really shows an incredible window into what Jesus thought about his followers. The Jewish culture at this time uh, had all of these expectations for what they thought the Messiah, the coming Savior, should be like. He would be this, this mighty and powerful man would end up leading a political revolution. And Jesus comes, and he does show that he is mighty and powerful. He does a lot of miraculous things, a lot of signs and wonders that the people around him are witnesses to, and they see this, and he's actually more powerful than they could have imagined. And then he invites these tax collectors and these fishermen, and he calls them his friends. He calls them his beloved friends. He says, I have revealed the one true God to you, Now, don't be afraid. Come and walk with me as my friend. He binds himself to his followers in friendship, and he knows full well what he's doing. The disciples are not very good friends most of the time. Uh, They have their good moments sometimes, but then sometimes they're hungry for power, and it looks like they're just using Jesus to try and gain some type of status in eternity, some place of power. They're very forgetful. Uh, On the night of Jesus' greatest need, the night before he is executed, he's in deep distress, and these disciples fall asleep on him, and then they abandon him when the trouble really comes. And still, he says, I call you friends, not servants, but friends. And everything he says here to his disciples, he says to you and me, too. This is amazing. The God of the universe comes in the flesh and the blood in the person of Jesus Christ, into a world where even his best friends will betray him, will turn on him. And he invites these people, you and me, his disciples, into friendship with him. You know, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, this is a really good, uh, simple summary that Jesus comes and asks you to follow him and invites you into friendship with God. It's a wonderful invitation. I think it can be easy for us to sometimes think of of God as a reluctant father. There can be a lot of guilt if you think that God loves you because he's obligated to, right? It can be easy to 
to, to think of, of Jesus up in heaven as this like older brother who's looking down on his careless little brothers just like rolling his eyes and shaking his head. But he's your friend. He's not obligated to you. He chooses you. God doesn't need you. He's not stuck with us. He chooses us. And he wants us from his throne in heaven in the midst of his perfect, loving, satisfying, Trinitarian relationship between the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. He chooses us. He chooses people and invites them into friendship with him. We don't get to choose our family, uh, but we do get to choose our friends. We hope to be friendly with the family that we're born into, but there's no guarantee. And if we don't have a good relationship with that family, they're still always going to be our family. But friendships are a little different than family. We've all seen friendships end. Friendship depends on a choice. Christ chooses to be your friend. It's not an obligation. He chooses you. And if you're ever scared that he'll stop choosing you, you have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. He already went to the cross for you. He already died for you. He went literally as far as he could possibly go for you. So that sinners and lowly people like us can be perfectly reconciled to God. He showed you the greatest act of love possible that he talked about here with his disciples. And he paid the greatest possible price for it. He looked the worst suffering imaginable right in the eye, and he still chose you. He's not going to stop choosing you. That's the most faithful friend possible. He knows you. He invites you into friendship, and he adopts you into his family. What a great God that we serve. That he calls us into friendship. What a picture of grace that he would make us friends What a hope for reconciliation that he would go to those lengths to reconcile people to himself. What a solid foundation to stand on as we try to live out this vision of friendship within this church context. Standing shoulder to shoulder, eyes on our Savior and our friend. I referenced earlier the story of, of David and Jonathan, one of the most beautiful stories of friendship in the Bible. Now, because of the pol- we'll call them political circumstances at the time, uh, David and Jonathan actually had to permanently part ways fairly early on in their lives, knowing that they probably wouldn't be able to see each other anymore. Jonathan dies before David gets to see him again. But then David becomes king of Israel, and he's reflecting on his friendship with Jonathan one day. And he finds somebody in the area who was good friends with Jonathan's family, and he brings this guy to him, and he said, my friend Jonathan ever end up having any children? The guy says, yes, actually. He had a son. So David sends him out to bring this son to court with him. His son's name is Mephibosheth, one of those great Old Testament names. <laughs> so David invites him and meets him. Now, Mephibosheth has nothing to offer David. He's disabled. He hasn't been able to use his legs from the time he was born, which is no small matter in the ancient world. And at this time, he's not part of some great family anymore that can help out the king. So he's probably scared coming to see King David at this time. He throws himself at David's feet and he says, King David, 
I am your servant. But David responds by inviting him to a meal, to eat at the king's table with him at his right side. And not just once, but for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth doesn't understand it, but David says to him, Come, because of my love for Jonathan, your father, you are to sit at my right hand and feast with me for the rest of your life. This is the same invitation that our Heavenly Father gives to us today. Come, because of what my son has done for you, come and feast with me. Sit at my table as my friend. Will you all pray with me? Lord God, we, we thank you for this uh, incredible invitation. We thank you that you enter into friendship with us, that you choose us in spite of what little we have to offer you. Uh, we pray that you would um, increase the deep friendships in this place, that you would draw us together as we seek to serve you and love you more. And we pray in the name of our friend Jesus. Amen.